Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, title of my sermon today is called The Wedded Blade and the Bent Bow. And my text is from Psalm chapter 7. And I would just like to say that I seem to be, I was telling my wife this morning, I just seem to be more and more in love with God every day. And I may not be any less human or any less sinful in my flesh, but I can tell you what, I'm more in love with God, for sure. That's a wonderful thing at 50 years old to find that the more you read the Word of God, the more you love Him. Amen? The more you study it, the more you look into it, the more you walk with Him, the closer you get. Amen? Amen. You know, you get older and you get cynical about men. And you, you should watch them. We run into this person and you kind of wonder what's their angle or this kind of thing happens. And, you know, men are not uh, very trustworthy oftentimes. But I'll tell you what, the more I live, the, the greater I understand my God. How wonderful he is, how faithful he is, how he's constant. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 7, I'm going to read for you the whole psalm, and I'm going to take my time a little bit today and preach to you about the wedded blade and the bent bow of God. Psalm chapter 7, verse 1 says this A Shagayan of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush, the Benjamite. O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest He tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if if I have rewarded evil unto them that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. 
So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes therefore return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tries the hearts and the reins. My defense is of God which saveth the upright of heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will not wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made ready. He hath prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordains his arrows against his persecutors. Behold, he travails with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and he digged it and he has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. His violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of of the Lord Most High. Let us pray. Lord God, I look forward every week to this moment in time when you speak to your people because I am listening for your voice as one of your people myself. I know that as I have prayed for these people that you have given me to shepherd, I know that you speak to me about them and I write down things in my sermons, but Lord, you speak to me because I'm your sheep too. And Lord, as I've been hearing your words from Psalm 7, Lord, I am reminded and called upon to trust in your power and your strength and not my own one more time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we've been studying the Psalms, we have been learning about prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. We've been learning about music. Everybody say music. music. Harmony. Harmony. Emotion. emotion. Depth of emotion. We've been learning about loving God with all of our hearts and with all of our strengths as well as all of our minds. This 150 chapter book of God's praise given to us to teach us how to worship God rightly. Amen? Isn't that what we want to do? That's what David wanted to do. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant was being transported? We talked about this. They weren't worshiping God rightly. They weren't moving the Ark of God rightly. And God smote that young man, who I know probably meant no harm by it, but he did. Caused a stop and a halt to everything. And David said, we need to get out the book again. We need to read exactly what we're supposed to do and do it. The worship book of God is the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 and 2, as we learned, talks to us about the blessed man. And we begin, even in it, to begin to see the intricacy of how this worship book is going to direct us and teach us how to be that blessed man. We learned that Christ, of course, is the most blessed man. In Psalm 3, we learn that God, the Lord of the Sabbath, has given us rest in the time of trouble, even when we are the very cause of it, because we are always the cause of it. We're sinners, and we deserve punishment, and anything that comes to us, any correction that comes to us, or punishment, or judgment that comes, we deserve every single bit of it. Psalm 4, 
we, we, it was addressed to a, the chief musician on Naganoth. And we learned that there, were a, there are different kinds of instruments even that are appropriate. And of course, we remember that Naganoth is a stringed instrument. In verse 5, that the chief musician, it begins to on Niholoth, which is on a hollowed out instrument or some kind of a woodwind or a flute or something like that. Psalm 6 is to the chief musician on Naganoth upon Shemineth. Wasn't that interesting? That God had a type of instrument and he had a type of song, a tone, a, an emotion, a depth that we talked about. For me, it's been very wonderful. Hasn't it been for you to learn these things? I'm so excited to see what God will do in and through us as he changes all of us through these things. That's what God's word does. It changes us. Every time we gather together, we ask God to do it. So when he starts to do it, we should not be surprised. In doing something good inside of us, it should do what? It should come, it should come out. Here in our text in Psalm 7, we make yet a new discovery. It's not Shemineth. It's not uh, the other instruments, which I'm not sure I'm pronouncing correctly anyway. I did look up online how to do it, but uh, it's difficult to pronounce these words. But I have this one written down. It's a Shigian. This is kind of a new discovery because most of us, like I said, we may know what a gigabyte is or a megabyte or we may know what a Facebook post is or we may know how to download or we may how to upload. But there are not too many of us that know what Shemineth is or what Nagalith is or Naganoth or what is a Shigayan. We don't know these things, but they're in God's worship book, so we should know them. Amen? So what is a... Shigayin, it'd probably help you to learn it if I pronounced it correctly or pronounced it in some memorable way, but I can't do it any better than that. We're not exactly 100% sure what it means because it's such an ancient psalm. But from the roots of the word and from what commentators have said, we will see where it takes us. If you go to the Bible dictionary and you go to the Hebrew, you'll find that this word that is in the introductory words for Psalm 1, it means something you would probably not expect to find in the Bible. It is from a verb which means to reel about through drink. Okay? And just in case you didn't hear me correctly, or you're thinking maybe not, I didn't actually hear that. But basically... The word that this comes from means to kind of reel about through drink. If you drink a little bit too much, you'll find that you're unsteady on your feet. You'll find that you're a bit dazed. You'll find that you can't get your footing. The Bible talks about that you will kind of almost feel like you're in a ship. Have you ever seen anybody like this? Or do you understand that this happens with people? So what is it doing here? Why is this song supposed to be a shigan? What does that even mean? What does it mean to reel about through drink? It occurs in the title of Psalm 7 here and in the plural form, shiganoth. It is also found in Habakkuk chapter 3. The word denotes a lyrical poem, it says, composed under strong mental emotion. A strong of impassioned imagination 
accompanied with music to suit it. What on earth is this, Luke? I mean, what in the world? But all you have to do is read Habakkuk chapter 3 and read Psalm chapter 7 and put together this with it, and I think that we'll come to understand what is going on. This is more emotion. Has anything someone has ever said about you ever hit you so hard that it dazed you? Come on. I mean, if you were going to do a physical expression to say what happened when you've heard certain things, you would do this. You'd be... He said, what? Come on. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you were going to be an actor and, and you were going to dramatize or you were going to be in a play, you would hear it and you would just be like... Whoa, whoa, I need to steady myself. Right? You couldn't even think right when you heard the words. It was, it was almost like you were dreaming. You were reeling about like an inebriated man. You were kind of knocked off your feet. Sometimes before somebody says something to you, they will say, you might want to sit down. Right? Why do they say that? They'll say it because they believe that the words that are going to come out of your mouth are going to affect them and they're going to need to steady themselves. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about what we call the gut punch. How many of you heard something? You've learned something or you, someone, you, someone told you someone said something and for you it was like, oh, it was painful. It hurt you. You, you needed to maybe... Hold on to a wall. What? Why would he say that? Who said that? Why would they do that? Reading both Psalm 7 and Habakkuk 3, there's certainly no doubt that these prayers, these songs to God, were written under circumstances of strong mental emotion. They were and are songs of impassioned imagination. Like we talked about last week, it is most appropriate to pour our hearts out to who? To God. If we're going to pour our hearts out totally, it's not necessarily to men. May not be our wives. Might not even be your brother in the church to pour your heart out totally. Who do we pour our hearts out totally to? Come on. We pour out totally to God. Why do we do that? Can we trust Him? Does He ever take the things that we tell Him and use them to hurt us? No. People do, don't they? You share that deep thing that you feel and next thing you know, someone's repeating it. Mm. That weak moment, you shared that thing with your wife and at another weak moment of hers, she uses it to kick you with. People do that. Men will not always know what to say or do. They will not always understand your groanings. They will not always act wisely with your words of anguish. But God alone can save us in times of great distress. Amen? You'll never be sorry and pour out your heart to God. It is to Him that we cry out. He hears us. We are His children. When we cry out to Him, He answers us as 
his children, and he has for thousands of years. That's really what the story of the Bible, it's about the people of God crying out to the Lord and the Lord hearing them and the Lord saving them. So why do we not do it? Why do we tell our problems to others? Why do we cry on the shoulders of others and not on God's? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever trust anyone or ever talk to anyone. But what I'm saying is, why do we do it with men, but we don't do it with God? That's a question we should ask. Not only is this psalm that kind of a psalm, but it's a psalm of David. So it's not just this happening to anyone, it's happening to David. David's been hurt. David, God's choice for Israel's king whose throne was to be established forever. Jesus indeed was the son of David and with this psalm was written by him and sung by him. Although these opening words uh, that we've been talking about have been left out foolishly from many Bibles, it tells us that this is a psalm of David and was written and lifted up to the Lord in a song, quote, concerning the words of Cush, the Benjamite. It's kind of amazing to me that this is included, Andy, in this. Because when you find out, we don't know what exactly that Cush says, but Cush is not a good guy. And what Cush has said has hurt David deeply, and he's crushed by this. It's, it's killing him. He's dazed, Tim. He said, What? Why? Oh, you can't believe that. Oh, no. God's Word does not give us the circumstances surrounding the story as it does in other Psalms, like in Psalm 3. Remember? Psalm 3, a Psalm written when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. We know the story, right? But it doesn't tell us who Cush was. It tells us that his name was Cush and that he was a Benjamite. But that's all it says. Here in Psalm 7, we only have two things to guide us, that his name was Cush and that he was a Benjamite. Now, I work really hard to bring to you the Word of God. I just want you to know that I don't just play around. I don't just find somebody's sermon somewhere and copy it. I could do that, and you'd probably like it, because plenty of people write great sermons. But I started reading and trying to find, who is this guy? And in fact, when I, when I heard his name, Steve, I'm like, that really sounds familiar, but it, in my mind, it seemed a whole lot more ancient than David because isn't, you know, and I'm, I'm, my mind is going, where's this Cush guy, you know? So thankfully you have computers that can help you get there quick or a topical Bible. But there are no characters I found surrounding the life of David with the name of Cush. Not one. And they list a lot of names. They, they list everybody carrying every little teeny thing, everybody in every family, but they don't mention this guy. There's not even a name like it mentioned in the story of David. The name may sound familiar because Cush was the son of Ham. He was the cursed son of Noah. Remember, Noah had the son Ham and he was cursed of God, right? He had sons. His sons were named Cush. Everybody say Cush. He had another son named Canaan. Everybody say Canaan. And he had one named Phut. Somebody say Phut or Put, however you want to say it. And Mizraim. Ham had four of these sons, and Cush was one of them. That's why his name sounds familiar. Ham's ungodly offspring settled in what would become 
the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they are the Canaanites, right? So Ham's cursed children became Canaan and became the Canaanites. Hence, the constant enemy of God. They became this because they would not drive them from the land of Canaan. Now, very simplified, of course, but Thut or Put became Egypt and Mezraim became the Philistines. Are you starting to see a pattern of Ham's children? <laughs> These are the major enemies of God. You have the Canaanites, you have the Philistines, and the Egyptians. If you were going to put a top 10 list out or a top 5 list, would they make the top 5 list? They would make it. And on this list, the fourth son was named Cush. They were also a constant enemy, but they were from further away. Do you remember the Old Testament reading last week? Old Testament reading last week about good King Asa? And he's facing the men of Cush. He's fighting a million men from Ethiopia. That's who he's fighting. And that is Cush. Cush was synonymous with the enemy. Like we used to say communists. You know, some of us old people here remember the, the mean, terrible communists, the red Chinese, the Soviet Union, our enemies. Nowadays, you would say terrorists, right? That's kind of what it would be if in the Bible, you'll hear this throughout the Bible, it'll say the archers of Cush, or it'll say, uh, you know, the footmen of Mizraim. And what they're saying, or what they're meaning, it's synonymous with enemies of God. Like you would say the Canaanites, right? You would say the Cushites. You would say the Philistines. You would say the Egyptians. So from the start, the name seems strange to me. It seems that it would be a very strange thing for you to name your son terrorist. Or to name your son communist. Right? You probably really... You would have to be a strange character to want to do something like that. But somebody, not only somebody, but somebody in the tribe of Benjamin, which is the same tribe that the first king of Israel, King Saul, was from, it would be especially strange for them to go, I'm going to name my child after the enemies of the people of God that have been our enemies for a thousand years. How many of you think that would be strange? I think that would be strange. So, for this reason, some of the commentators say that it's a pseudoname and it basically means an enemy from the house of Saul. Now, whether it's an enemy from the house of Saul or just someone God providentially raised up a man who was so recalcitrant and so uh, ungodly that he decided to pick the name Cush for his son, and so providentially his son came up to be an enemy of God, whether it's that or whatever, it's there's still the, the 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 meat here is that this guy was an enemy of the people of God, or he had the name of the enemy of the people of God, but yet he was in the tribe of the family of the first king of Israel. And so you know who the nemesis is of David throughout his life. It is Saul and the families of Saul. God anoints David and he makes him king but it's many years later until he is anointed and Saul is trying to kill him and then even after God removes Saul and Jonathan and pretty much all of the household of Saul 
There are still some of Saul's distant relatives that are alive. And you'll find as you read through 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, you'll find that the household of Saul is trying over and over to get back. You know, like if you know the history of England or Scotland or uh, Austria, you'll know that there are these families that rule and they pass on from one family to another family to another family their dynasty of kingship, right? And so when Saul's family got in the business of being king, they expected that their sons and their daughters would be the princes and the kings and the leaders of Israel forever. And so they're always trying to subvert David and overthrow him. And you'll see that Saul's household is synonymous with those that are trying to cause a coup in Israel. Perhaps David did not want to name the man by his actual name, but he called him by something people would recognize, the, the, the enemy that's been out to get me from the house of Saul. David's throne was in jeopardy, no doubt, in this accusation that had been made. The psalm is about a horrific rumor or a heinous accusation that is being made. It's so painful for David that he wrote a song about it. Not only did he write a song about it, but he let it know why he wrote the song. I mean, this is pretty rough, right? He writes the song about it and then lets it know in the heading of it. This song is about that stuff that Cush said about me. I mean, could you imagine if we had a song like that? Like something really bad happened in the church and, and, and we had a, a horrible event. And we've had a few of them, right, Andy? We're going to write a song about that time when so-and-so tried to roll a hand grenade through the middle of our church. I mean, this is really what David is doing. He's putting this. We're going to sing and worship. And what's the point? And we're going to find out what the point is. But the point is, is that David was leading Israel to God in the time of trouble that has come upon them that they don't deserve. Unjustly, falsely being accused of something and what to do about it. This is great leadership. And folks, this is something to prepare your own hearts with. There will be times in your life when you are accused of doing things that you didn't do. The question is, is what are you going to do? David is teaching us what to do. Next time you get accused of something falsely, get out Psalm 7. It's a little primer on what to do when you're falsely accused and what not to do. We will see the words that he's saying here that he believed that he was not guilty of whatever they were. Being falsely accused is a difficult thing and it has destroyed many lives. With some things, when you are accused of it, the accusation is enough to completely destroy your life, right? We've seen this as a political tool uh, of war these days. Someone will say, well, this person, you know, they, they use this racial word. Or this person is a racist. Or this person is bad to women. This person 30 years ago did something nasty to me. And sometimes merely the mere accusation of such a thing is enough, even if they didn't do it, even if there's no evidence, just saying somebody did something is enough to ruin somebody's reputation for the rest of their lives. Have you seen this? 
Yeah. Now, we have so many nasty, bad people in the world that generally the rumors are true. But there are times when people are good and godly and they haven't done things and people will accuse them and wreck their lives. I've seen it myself. God has placed a layer of protection for the elders of our church, thankfully. Because the devil longs to smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. Here at Foundation Church and in the church of Jesus Christ, we do not hear mere accusations against our elders. The Bible says those accusations must have at least two witnesses willing to come forward and stand by their stories. And don't think this is me prepping you all for the bad thing I did. I'm, I hadn't done anything bad that I can remember. All right, But the Bible says that. Do not hear an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses. Who knows what pain and suffering this caused David? Men and women with big hearts or love for God and others can be wounded deeply. When you are a person who feels deeply, when you're accused like this, it can be like a, a, an inward hemorrhage. You can almost bleed to death. We can see David was cut very deeply. How many of you know that words can hurt? They do. James tells us that our tongues are powerful things for good and evil, and we should at all times pray that our tongue is given fully to the Lord for good and that God keeps it from evil. For James says it this way, In many things we offend all, but if any man does not offend with his words, the same as a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also ships, which though they be so great, are driven with fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whether they govern or listeth. Even so the tongue, everybody say the tongue. It is a little member, and it boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. How many of you have found that more than anything that in your home and in your life... The words that somebody say cause more strife in your home than anything. Come on. They cause strife in this church. You hardly hear in the church, you know, uh, Heath Goldsmith punched me in the face. Jeff has never come and said that to me. Heath Goldsmith kicked me in the stomach so hard. No. Generally doesn't happen, right? It happens when, when you're that big, right? But what also starts when you're happening is that because he called me a... He said I was a... He said he didn't... Right? And, and words hurt. They do. The tongue is a fire, it says. A world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members... It defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. I mean, is that a pretty powerful statement? Then why do we just use our mouth like flamethrowers? I cause more trouble in our house by my mouth. I can tell you this right now. Pastor Mark is praying that God, but I... I'm gonna, you guys want to hear me confess my sins? Is this going to be good for you? You need this? Heath, Heath, now I know you're getting out of your seat, but I've I got to include you with me because you seem to sin like I do the same ways many times. So maybe you other men do it. Maybe you do it, Steve. See, if you others say, you know, 
not just could someone clean up that dish, but hey, could someone clean up that dish because nobody's cleaned up a dish in the last week. Anybody ever throw, you throw on those little last statements there, right? Anybody, you ever do that? Yeah. It can't be enough to clean up the dish. It's because nobody's cleaned up a dish in the last, nobody cares about anything around this house, right? That's what we do. We, we go like a little flamethrower around our house starting little fires. We're like, I cleaned up a dish last week. I did the dishes 14 times in the last week. What do you mean I haven't cleaned up a dish? Like, well, blah, 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 blah. That's what we do. The Bible says we should be swift to hear and slow to speak. I think if we said a whole lot less words in our houses, especially the kind that I say every now and then, Elizabeth is one of the easiest people in the world to get spinning. Like, you can just make her go crazy. It's amazing. She is. How do you feel about that, honey? All it takes is the wrong thing to say. Now, sometimes it happens when you say the right thing, but, but what I'm talking about is saying the wrong thing. Every kind of beast and birds and serpents and things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. If no man can tame it, how can it be tamed? It needs to be tamed by who? By God. It's an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. You know what? How many of us view our tongues like this? We don't. We love to hear ourselves talk. And now we can even talk without talking. We just text. And email. And message. That's your tongue, just so you know. Just so you know, texting is your tongue. Just so you know, your tongue doesn't get enough words out of it. Just wants now. It's, now your tongue is using your fingers. <laughs> You're telling that person online. I'm gonna tell you right now. I was an I was imagining the future uh, when we don't go shopping anymore, and uh, we we send these little robots to shop for us. And I'm like, it will never happen because our robots will beat the fire out of each other. We'll be in the aisle and someone will want the cracker so they can be back. And they'll be like, I want the cracker right now. And the, the, it'll, they'll be yelling and screaming and beating. The robots will be beating each other. Why? Because, well, because we won't be there. Our tongues, it seems, get amplified through text and email and messaging because we have, we have the computer to hide behind. We don't have to look at the person right in the face that we're talking to. Folks, may we not be accusing and fighting and setting fires online. What a waste of time. James says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He's saying, here we are. Oh, he's worthy. Right? And then we're like, and you never did a dish your whole life, darn it. And, 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 and God is like, you really, you use your mouth to bless me, to praise me, and to hurt people with. And somebody really used it. Somebody probably, in this case of David, they, 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 how many of you, and I know, so I, I, I want to avoid eye contact because I know some of you, there are some of you people, wow, I've just gone so politically correct. Some of you people, I was going to say some of you women, some of you girls, some of you, I'll say it, some of you women, some of you girls, you know what to say to cause deft pain. 
Come on. Women are very, very smart. They're very perceptive. And they know just how to cut it deep. People of God, be careful with your tongues. Even be careful for what you listen to from the mouths of others. Let's hear what this did to David. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me. Deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. Does this sound like a minor thing to him, Steve? He's comparing what's... Now, no one has hit him. No one's thrown a javelin at him. No one set his house on fire. All the psalm is about is about something somebody said. And you might go, yeah, I know. Because it does. I would rather someone set my barn on fire than some of the things that have been said. You can put a barn out or you can build a new barn. But once the damage is done, once the bleeding is started, once the suffering has begun, it's just horrendous. Oh, Lord, my God, indeed, he starts off this prayer about why is he having to say this? He's having to say it because, you know, there, there was this, there was this, uh, many of you, you may have heard this, but when I heard this, I could never get it out of my head. Maybe you haven't heard it. It'll be your first time. There was this great ruler of the land and this man uh, was angry with him and he started a lying rumor about him because he wanted to subvert his kingdom and the king found out who it was. And he brought him in. And he goes, you know what's going to happen? He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, he goes can't, you just, can't you just forgive me for this? And then everything will be just okay. And he's like, he said, well, I will. He said, if you do this one thing for me. He said, what? He said, I want you to go. And he had this pillow that was filled with feathers. And I want you to go up to the top of the castle. And I want you to cut it open. And I want you to open it. And he goes, and if you can collect all those feathers and put them all back in that pillow, we'll be good. What did the man know? There'll be none of that. Once, you, once it comes out of our mouths, once it begins the damage, it's, you can't undo it. You can't unsay it. David's crying out, oh Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Because you, if you're going to put all of your trust somewhere, it isn't going to be with man. It's going to be with God. He said, save me from them that persecute me and deliver me. He's calling on God to save him. He was king. Do you think he could go kill Cush, the Benjamite? Oh yeah. He could. He realized that the words that the man said was tearing his soul like a lion, rending it in pieces. He was being torn up. Here again, we know, we see he addresses the Lord as my God, very personal, amen? He's a personal God who loves us. He cares about these hurts. He's our Savior, not only from our own sins, but from the sins of others. We know we can't save ourselves, but we often forget that we should Look to God to save us from the pain of others. Often our first reaction to this kind of pain is to do what? Is to lash out at them. When someone hurts us, what do we sometimes, what does our flesh want to do? Come on, you know. 
Use your mouth now. What do you want to do when someone hurts you? Come on. You want to hurt them back. That's what we want to do. Why do we want to? Because we don't believe this. We want to hurt them like they've hurt us. It is our reaction. When, when you know, I love my wife. You love your wife. You love our kids. But what happens is, is when we get hurt, and I've seen it again and again, once the pain starts, it's like you see this look on the face and then the pain's coming back, right? That's what strife is. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. That's not how godly people should live. Sometimes when we don't even really know the facts, we strike out so quickly. They're going to break up with me. I'm going to break up with them first. They're going to disrespect me. They're going to, oh, they're not going to be my friend anymore. I'm going to show them. I'm not going to be their friend. Whether or not people have attacked us, God tells us that the remedy is not to repay them. That's the answer. You want to know what to do when you're falsely accused? You want to know when you're hurt? It's not hurt them back. How, is this complicating? No, but it's not what we do, and it's not what we want to do. It's what our flesh wants to do. How many of you want your flesh to lead you and, and, and you to do what your flesh wants? Or how many of you want to submit your flesh to kill it and submit it to God's law? I want to submit my flesh to God's law. I want to kill that flesh. Amen? Amen. Thanks for raising your hand, Sarah, back there. Mrs. Robinette, come on. I need a few more hands. Woo! Because I'm, I'm writing this down, okay? Just so you know, I'm, I just kept track of everyone who put their hand up. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I shall repay. Now, it seems like almost everybody knows that verse. I, almost every grown human being knows this verse. If I say, vengeance is mine, they'll say, saith the Lord, I shall repay, right? But we might not know its context from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I was, I was telling you, I, it's sometimes my pleasure. I'll take things I'm so familiar with, Tim, that seem like, oh yeah, I know that. And I'll read the whole chapter just to make sure that I haven't just remembered it wrong and that I didn't understand it or I hadn't missed something. And I'm so glad I did. In, in Deuteronomy 32, God explained to his people that he would use their enemies to punish them. Everybody say, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over us. He's sovereign over our salvation. And we're Calvinists and we believe that. But do you know God is sovereign over our enemies? And that when our enemies hurt us, God has sent them to do it. Rough stuff. True. God, the Babylonians, the Bible said God raised them up so they would oppress Israel. That's what it says. It says he raised them in, 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 in there's, there's like, it's these biblical word, like God raised them in his nursery so that they would grow up and bring horrendous things on the people of God who turned away from him. God is sovereign even over our enemies, even when they falsely accuse us. This too is meant for our betterment and our chastisement and our refining. You may never have done it. You may go, there's no point to this. I can't believe I'm being accused of. How many have felt that way? Like you. I had one of my kids return these tools to Steve Foisey the other day, these little things. I don't know if you got them or not. These little things for my sink. Yeah. 
But if Steve had come to me and go, brother, you know what? I just, or not Steve, Luke come to me. You know what? It really hurts me that you would steal from Steve Foisey. If this was before yesterday, because I did return them yesterday. You know what my first reaction would be? Why would anybody believe I would do that? Right? Isn't that what you do? I wasn't stealing them. Well, you have them in your hand, don't you? And they're not in his hand, and they do belong there. Yeah, I, I know. I just, I'm stupid. I forgot. No, you're stealing, you know. When people accuse you of something you wouldn't do, you wouldn't even think about doing. How, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, nah, nah, what? You said this about me. I, I don't even think it about you. Yeah, you do. No. But when God sends us to be falsely accused, it's for our betterment. It's for us. Nothing is pointless in our lives. Now, this is not a New Testament virtue like some of us might think. It was part of the law of God. The law that David meditated on day and night. And you'll hear that David finds the wisdom that he's praying here. Where does he find it? He finds it in the law right here in Deuteronomy 32. I want to read it to you because it's good. Deuteronomy 32. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Is that unclear to anybody? Recompense and vengeance belong to who? Everybody say they belong to God. They're, this is God. God had told them, all right. I'm going to send your, en your enemies to hurt you and to do bad things to you, but it's not up to you to get them back. I'll take care of them. Okay? To me belongs vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people. Everybody say, God judges his people. See, a lot of times, though, we don't see false accusation as God dealing with us. And he is, and he does. He deals with us through actual accusations. He deals with us through actual enemies. But he also deals with us through false accusations. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants. Repent himself for his servants means that God will, God changes. He turns. Now, he doesn't change in the sense that, but when it says to repent, God is heading this way, right? What, what was Jonah afraid of? God says, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. He said, what will God do? God will repent. It's, the, the term is really used in a way that I, it's not great, but, but that's what it means. He will turn. And so God is going to stop from wanting to destroy Nineveh. And what's he going to do? He's going to be merciful, right? So that's where this turning, and you'll see this in, you'll see this in the psalm, and you'll see it here in Deuteronomy. For the Lord shall judge his people, he shall repent himself for his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none left to shut up or left. He's saying that when God sees when we've had enough, when the punishment is really bad, when if it doesn't stop soon, we're going to die. God, God at the end of it, you know how the Bible says, do not stop spanking your child when he cries, he won't die, right? But uh, you do want to stop short. Right? You, you don't want to kill your children, right? This is not the point. The point is not to hurt your children. The point is to discipline them. He shall say, and, and he says, when this turning happens, he shall say, where are their gods? And so God will begin to mock these people. Where's the rock they trusted in, which deeded the fat of their sacrifices, drank the wine of their offerings, let them rise up and help. 
you and be your protection. So he's basically saying, when I deal with your enemies, there's nothing, there's no way to get away from me. I will mock them, I will destroy them, and I will bring them down. But not you. Don't do it. I'm not going to let them crush you. I'm not going to let them destroy you. You're going to think they are, but they're not. And when you cry unto me, I will deal with them. Some of us deal with it ourselves so much that we just cause messes and we cause troubles instead of turning it over to God. See now that I, even I am He. There is no God with me. I'm all by myself. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Your enemies do not have anywhere to run from a God who sees all. They do not have any distance they can travel from a God whose arm is not short to get them. For I lift up my hand to heaven and I say I live forever. Steve, you're going to love this. I told you you'd love this. I'm going to point it out. You ready? God says, I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment. Can you just picture this? To wet, W-H-E-T, means to sharpen. Like we do, you ever take a stone and a, a knife, it's called a wet stone, a W-H-E-T. God says, I wet my glittering sword. I lay hold on judgment. What's God saying? I'm going to deal with them. How many would rather have your enemies dealt with with God's glittering, wetted sword and his bent bow or yours? I will wet my glittering sword. My hand will take hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to my enemies and reward them that hate me. Can you picture God with his glittering sword? I just love it. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour their flesh. And they, the blood of the slain of the captives from the beginning of revenge is upon my enemy. And God says in Deuteronomy, rejoice nations. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will render vengeance to his adversaries. And he will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Everybody say vengeance is God's. The Apostle Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 12. Recompense to no man. This is verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Everybody say, avenge not myself. But rather give place to wrath. That means when you're angry, which is what happens. When someone falsely accuses you, your first idea that comes in your mind is not anything generally more than you're just mad about it. How could they say that about me? Give place to wrath, for it is written, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Like someone's getting me a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Leave the hurting of others to God. Let God's wetted glittering sword and his bent bow avenge you. Do not return evil for evil as you are tempted to do. Leave it and leave them to God. Is this plain? But why don't we do this? We don't do this because we're sinners 
and because we don't believe that God was going to do anything about it. As we read further in the prayer, we'll see why David believes David is innocent. He says in verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I rewarded evil to him that was at peace with me, he's saying, if I did it, Lord, do it to me. Right? I mean, who would say that, believe, that actually believed in God? He puts in parentheses, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. David had the chance to kill Cush. David had the chance to pay him back. But did he pay him back? No. What did he do with Cush? He turned him over to God. Would be we could do that. Would be that we could not... Un That's why God wants us to forgive. Forgiveness is the act of turning someone over to God. When we hold on with anger for what people have done to us and how they've hurt us and how they've sinned against us, when we hold that in our heart, then what we say is we, we're going to deal with it in our way. We're not going to forgive them. We're going to hate them. And God says, no, why don't you just give that to me? Don't hate them. Let God hate them. Let God deal with them. Let God destroy them. Let God reward them. How many, come on, I want to ask you again. How many would rather have God with his glittering wedded sword and his bent bow deal with those that hurt us? I would. Then let's turn them over to him. David remembered the words of God's law and he obeyed them. David knew the law, right? And what it says, the blessed man. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What's he do? He meditates on the law, meditates on the law day and night. David here in Psalm 7 is singing about Deuteronomy chapter 32. He's saying, Lord, with the wedded bow. You'll, we'll read us what he says in the psalm. With the wedded, with the, with the wedded uh, blade of your sword and, and with your bent bow. He's quoting from Deuteronomy in his song. Let the enemy persecute my soul if I'm guilty. Let him take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay my honor in the dust. So we call out to God. Lord, they've said I've done this. They said I'm this kind of man. They've, they've, re, they've, they've talked bad about me in my church. They, my family is hurt. The whole world thinks this about me now. Oh God, what am I supposed to do? And David says, Lord, I'm leaving that to you. If I'm guilty, lay my honor in the dust, Lord. But if I'm not, oh Lord, smite them. David then prays for God to reward them for evil. It is not wrong for us to pray that God will reward our enemies. God knows who the guilty parties are. He is the judge who always shows equity. And you know what you might find when you pray? You might find that you were wrong all along to begin with. It's God's wedded glittering sword and his bent bow that will reward the sinner for his sins, not ours. David goes on in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of people compass thee about for their sakes, therefore return on high. The Lord shall judge the people. See, see what he's quoting? He's quoting directly from Deuteronomy in this song. The Lord shall judge the people. O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity that is in me, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous trieth the hearts and the reins. My defense is of God, which saved the upright of heart. 
God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32. If he turned not, he says in his psalm, and this is where I just read from Deuteronomy. This is where David quotes it. If he turned not, just like we read in Deuteronomy, if God doesn't change, if maybe these people don't repent, if they don't straighten up, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready, David prays. God is saying, even though I think that I can handle this revenge better than God, I'm not going to. And God will deal with them. And that's what David's praying. This is what we should do, guys. We should turn our hurt to God instead of back at each other. He hath also prepared for the instrument of death. He ordains his arrows against his persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath covered, conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit indignant and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his head, and the violent dealing shall come down upon his pate. I will praise the Lord. Everybody say, I will praise the Lord. It's difficult to praise God in the midst of being accused falsely, right? Because what do we want? We want to be vindicated. We want everyone to know we didn't do it. We want everyone to know we're not that kind of person. We want everyone to know we're better than that. That's what we want. But you know what David says? He says, you know what, Lord? If I did it, judge me. But if not, Lord, bring them low. As for me right now, what I'm, gonna do, what I'm doing in this prayer, in this praise where I'm feeling dazed, where I'm feeling off my feet, where I don't know what to do. You know what I'm going to do? I know what to do. I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to kill Cush. I'm not going to go out and, and try to fix it all and try to do it all. What did Jesus do when they reviled him? He didn't open his mouth. Let me tell you about a sword that would have come out of his mouth if he had opened his mouth. A literal sword would have devoured every one of them. He could have done that. In fact, he told him that. He said, you know what? If I said the word, the angels would just come, right? Yet Jesus, as an example for us, went to the cross, opening not his mouth. When they reviled him, he did not what? And we know he was innocent, right? Was he guilty for anything? Was there anything they could have said about him that would have been right? Any accusation they could have made that would have been right? No, but still, what did he do? He did what he calls us to do. He praised the Lord. He called, oh my God, my God. He called for God. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 7 is about what we are to do when we're falsely accused. We're to give it to God. We're not to hurt others. How many of you will think about this this week? How many of you will, when, when that thing comes in your mind, when that person hurts you with their words, will you stop and go, that's not what I'm supposed to do? And the people in here aren't your enemies. The people in your family aren't your enemies. It's the devil. He's the accuser. So he uses, sometimes he uses the weak people in our families. When they're having a weak moment, when they're sick or they've got a headache or they're stressed out or they're upset, he uses their weakness to say things that upset us. And what do we do? We hurt them back. Can we people of God stop doing this? 
Can we repent of this today? Amen. As we, as we end this portion of our service and we remember that we're coming to the table, there's something I wanted to, to lead you all in as a congregation. And I love how we come forward and I love how we eat bread together. But I think sometimes, I think we've, we've stepped a little too heavily on the ground as we have come. It's been a little bit too casual, a little too, this is no big deal. This is a big deal. When we come and the bread is broken, the Bible teaches us that it is Christ's body broken. We are handling and holding in our hand a torn piece of the flesh of God to remind us of his death. And what we hold in the glass is his blood that's spilled out for our salvation. Now, I'm not saying come and be sad and don't talk and, and, and be frightened. But what I am saying is we're not up here to goof off and to play and to talk about the, 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 the next silly joke. That's not what we're gathering for. So don't be scared when you come. Be joyful. We can be thankful. His body's broken, not ours. Amen? His blood's covering our sin. Rejoice. Those are appropriate emotions, but not the, yeah, whatever, you know, hey, no big. It's not that. Let's not do that, okay? So remember this. Return not evil for evil. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the power of this psalm to direct us, to teach us, to remind us of what to do when we are falsely accused, to help us to know what to do in everyday life, to remind us of the power of our tongue to hurt others. Oh, today we are blessing you. We are singing unto you. But tomorrow we may be tempted to hurt others with our mouths. Oh, God, may we give our tongues to you today. May they belong to you. May we not just sing praises to you on Sunday and use the sword of our words to hurt others when we leave. Oh God, cleanse us. Do as you did for your prophet. Take a coal from the altar and touch it to our lips today. For we are people of an unclean lips, oh God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.